0: (laughs) just playing with the uh the sound meter (laughs) oh we're recording this good Welcome to Stargazing, a Stargate-gazing podcast. I'm your host, Kathy. And I'm your other host, Mary. And every other week, we discuss an episode of Stargate, beginning with Stargate SG-1. Mary, how are you? I'm good. How are you? A little tired, but good. Yeah, you? I'm all right. I I'm uh, need to get through two more days of work, and then I have a couple of days off work, and I'm Yay. very excited about it. That is exciting. Yeah. I, have, I took off next Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Oh, nice. Yeah.
1: That is fantastic. I'm just looking forward to the first week of uh, November. I'll have a long weekend. And then there's Thanksgiving nice. shortly
0: after that. And that'll be great.
1: Not that I'm doing anything for Thanksgiving, but no, um, but it will be extra time off and that will be nice.
0: It will be and I was (coughs) seeing pictures of friends posting about Canadian Thanksgiving this week and I really really want to eat Thanksgiving food so I'm looking forward to getting there and I know I can actually eat Thanksgiving food anytime but But it's not the same it is not the same and even if I'm sitting alone eating it it's fine
1: (laughs) this will actually probably be coming out around Thanksgiving even though it is still several Uh, weeks before Thanksgiving or maybe Um, even just a little bit after Thanksgiving if I felt like doing the math I could figure that out but uh, I don't, so
0: here we are. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't date our podcasts in any way. Meh. I don't know how to do that, though. <laughs> Meh.
1: It's not like we're wishing people
0: happy holidays. <laughs> that is true. That would be, uh, I don't know. We'd be waging war on Christmas if we wish anyone a happy <laughs> holiday, so. That's
1: true. I suppose there's that. So my apologies. <laughs> I did not mean to wage any wars on Christmas or anyone else. <laughs>
0: We're for peace. Yes, indeed.
1: <laughs>
0: just like just like SG one is.
1: Yes, as are the people that they meet in this yes. episode, actually. That's a good segue. Yeah. The people the new people that they meet are very much for peace.
0: They are. I like them. I do too. So should we get started? (laughs) I think we should. All right. Fantastic. We are talking about season one, episode eight. Yes. The Knox. Yes. The (laughs) Knox.
1: Theoretically, season one, episode eight, as we've mentioned, there's weird different orders that the episodes go in, depending on who you're talking about, Uh, depending on who you're talking to. But that's what we'll go with.
0: Yes. By our accounting, that is where we are. Yes. And really, that's all that matters exactly (laughs) what we say (laughs) i think everyone listening will agree with that
1: yeah otherwise why would they be listening (laughs)
0: right (laughs) i only listen to things where i agree with literally everything that someone says (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like a healthy way to go through life
1: (laughs) you're a well-rounded person
0: (laughs) i am Yes. Yeah. So right. this episode, do you like to kick yeah, it off? I could, yeah, yeah, all right.
1: As so many episodes begin, we are in the gate room and uh, kind of switching back and forth between the gate room and the command room. There's people calling out and Hammond is talking to Mr. Secretary. We don't really ever find out what he is Secretary of Defense, I would assume, but they just never refer to him as Mr. Secretary.
0: I was also assuming Mr. Secretary of Defense. Yes. Also, according to the end credits, his name is Swift.
1: Oh, okay. That I never picked up, so.
0: I only looked it up because I got to the end credits and there was Swift, you know, played by I forget who now, and I was like, who is Swift? (laughs) I don't remember any Swift in this episode, (laughs) so I had to look it up.
1: Apparently, this is who it is. They're getting ready to open the gate, and Hammond is telling Mr. Secretary of Defense Swift that that's how they open the front door around here. SG-1 is up in that command room as well, and Mr. Secretary seems very impressed by what is going on, and asks Sam exactly what he's looking at when he sees the wormhole with its watery appearance and she says that's the event horizon of a wormhole and gives him some sciencey jargony explanation that he doesn't seem very interested (laughs) in listening to. They send a map through and Mr. Secretary asks if they know what's out there and O'Neill says no that's why they are going. Mr. Secretary asks "Well, I'm not so sure is that really why you're going and then he goes on to say that the administration is really unhappy with the program's progress which everybody was pretty surprised by, uh, understandably, since from their perspective, they've been having a lot of good success and meeting a lot of new people. And uh, apparently nobody really cares about any of that in the government because all they really want is new technology and possibly some new weapons. They don't really care so much about meeting new cultures because even Marco Polo brought more back more than spice. Yep. And essentially he says that the entire program is... A waste of time.
0: What a jerk! <laughs> he really is. I know. <laughs> like, crap all over everyone's hard
1: work. He really did. <laughs> Sam refers to this as being humanity's most important endeavor, and Mr. Secretary compares that to the moon missions, saying, "Well, all they brought back is rocks, so that's why we haven't been back in twenty-five years." So apparently, he definitely does not appreciate science and exploration for science and exploration's sake. (laughs) So O'Neill is pretty offended by that and asks what kind of comparison that is, and the secretary asks if they've brought anything back that could protect us from the Gua'ulds, which they haven't technically, but Tilk does ask what kind of technology they're looking for. And so the secretary asks what kind of technology is out there, and Tilk mentions that there are powers out there that even the Gua'uld seek, and mentions a creature on one particular planet that possesses the power of invisibility, and Mr. Secretary is like, invisibility? Invisibility. As in stealth? stealth? Yeah, what else does invisibility mean, man? (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was a really dumb reaction. It is, yeah. Like, Okay. (laughs) So, so good job you. I'm glad that you're the one making the big bucks and the decisions <laughs> about what's going on here.
0: Maybe he's been fooled too many times by people who just put their hands over their eyes. <laughs> he has object oh, permanence begaboo. issues. <laughs> oh, begaboo. Oh, begaboo. So
1: yes, Tilk confirms. <laughs> this does mean stealth because they can disappear and reappear at Will, these beings or creatures that they're talking about. And He, at one point, Teal'c, at one point had been asked to go and retrieve those creatures so that they could learn their secrets, and when he failed to actually apprehend any of those creatures, Apophis had two of his men killed to get payback, (laughs) I guess, so uh, that's pretty shitty.
0: That Apophis, so wacky.
1: So of course now this is going to be their next mission because they need to go and get these invisible creatures for Mr. Secretary to be placated.
0: And and then they're on the mission. <laughs> in the very next moment, as if no time had passed, but clearly some time must have passed because they're all in their gear and they've sent a perp through and everything. They are on a planet that appears to have a lot of uh, forest and vegetation and...
1: It looks surprisingly like Vancouver. Oh my God! I know. Who could
0: imagine? For a second, I thought I was watching the X Files.
1: <laughs> weird. What a weird coincidence. I know. Um,
0: the sky is overcast. You can hear a little thunder, and then you can also hear some birds chirping. They just got there, and they're kind of looking around, and and they think they spotted something that was large. One thing
1: I forgot to mention when he. When O'Neill first comes through the gate on the new planet, he's like calling out to the others and looking around as though they've disappeared. And then he turns around and they're all standing right behind them. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty odd choice because like he's calling to them and nobody's answering and we're being led to believe that they're just kind of gone. And then, oh, hey, there they are. <laughs> I didn't even pick up
0: on that. Like, oh, no. Way to go me. <laughs> I don't like, know. I was just, like, oh, he's looking around. He found his friends. Okay, we're cool. <laughs> I just thought that was weird and funny. Yeah, I don't know where they would have gone, but yeah.
1: Right. It was a pretty open clearing that they were in, so it's not like yes. they could have gone very far. Just turn around. <laughs> <laughs> They're right there.
0: <laughs> anyway. I think the rest of them are saying they saw a large flying creature
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, that Teal'c describes as a hummingbird with teeth. <laughs> Yes. Um, and when we
1: finally see it later though, it is way bigger than a hummingbird. So yes. <laughs> but I guess Tilk hasn't seen any hummingbirds yet and doesn't yeah. know.
0: <laughs> so they are gonna head back to their stuff and get ready for their, their uh hunt. And O'Neill turns back to the gate <gasps> and it's gone. Oh, what? Oh, Not just the gate, but all their stuff too. Oh, it's oh, just oh, a oh, empty oh, clearing. Oh, Indeed. Holy cow.
1: It would be even easier to find his team, then, because yeah. there's even fewer things in it.
0: <laughs> you don't have that ring in the way <laughs> with that, its gaping hole in the middle. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and, and then we're at credits. Indeed. After the credits, the team splits up to look around. Daniel and O'Neill see a blur hovering in the air. They can see through it, but it just is kind of like a waviness in the in the sky. And it's making a super loud buzzing noise. And they decide that they're going to try to take it down, but then something else shoots at it. And we see a, like a lightning bolt. O'Neill, of course, blames Teal'c because it looked like a fire from a staff weapon, but Teal'c says it wasn't him. And then we see upon closer inspection that it is actually Apophis. As convenient timing would have it, Apophis and his men have come to hunt these things at the same time as SG-1. Holy cow! Thankfully, they do not see SG One.
0: SG One though saw them, and they need to talk yes. about it. Of course, Daniel is like, we need to capture Apophis and find out where my wife is, and Scara. There's a little. There's a. There's definitely discussion about this because because that's not their mission and they're not prepared for it right they don't have the weapons that they would ideally need they don't have their weapons they don't have any of like the gear they brought with them because it's gone right they most of their fire their firepower is tranquilizers which daniel's like great he'll wake up in a holding cell and then we'll get what we want from him
1: right but what about the resistance to like any kind of anesthetic that we already learned that it has back in the episode with Kowalski? i
0: think Daniel has a lot of wishful thinking, <laughs> and I'm not sure why he convinces everyone this is a good idea. Right. <laughs> I don't know either.
1: Cool. O'Neill reminds them that even if they could tranquilize them, they don't know where the gate is, so how would they get him through the gate? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Tilk says that Apophis and his men would have some kind of a homing device that would help them locate it, and so O'Neill asks Tilk if Daniel's plan is plausible, and Tilk thinks that if they do manage to take out the guards rapidly first with the gun that the one gun that they do have and Tilk's staff weapon as well, that it might actually work. So O'Neill asks Tilk if he is okay with taking down someone that he used to view as a god and Tilk s- confirms that he is very okay with that. And Sam reiterates the, the fact that they will need to plan for this extremely carefully if they're going to be successful.
0: Their plans in this episode are super boggers. I really... <laughs> I don't know what I mean obviously we know the outcome so I don't like it's you're like what were they thinking right and I really like I I feel Daniel's like just desperation I think to get what he wants but I just like I guess also what else were they gonna do I guess right. I don't know oh I guess we'll wander around this planet looking for invisible bugs <laughs> i mean that is why they went there though That's true <laughs> but how can they do that when the enemy is nearby they might run into each other anyway i don't know true. any especially since they can't leave right anyway i don't know where i went with that but here's where i landed
1: i rarely know where i'm going with anything i say <laughs> so here we are
0: so it's plan execution time we see apophis and his jaffa walking through the forest and they're kind of hitting a little clearing with some rocks and they're pretty exposed and you see that the Jaffa guard kind of looks down and he sees a footprint so they are they're alerted that something someone else is there and they seem to sense something's amiss and they are right because they are then suddenly being attacked by SG-1 who is firing at them and then there's exchange of fire while they're all firing at each other the Jaffa and Carter, Daniel and Teal'c, O'Neill sort of pops out and tries to shoot Apophis with the tranquil- tranquilizer, but he is ready for O'Neill. He puts up some sort of personal shield that deflects the dart. He kind of smirks at O'Neill <laughs> <laughs> before he has his jeffa pass a staff weapon to him, and then he kills the entire team. <laughs> I shouldn't be like Except for Teal'c. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yes. He kills O'Neill and then Carter's like, ah, sir! So she gets up, so he shoots her too. <laughs> and then Daniel gets up, and he gets shot too. So they're all down. Uh, to be clear, I'm not
1: laughing that they're all dead. I'm no. just laughing at how you described
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> Tilki, meanwhile, managed to like knock, knock out, uh, hit one of the guards. And it's just kind of him and Apophis who is standing there while Teal's firing at him uselessly as he walks towards him. And then they have a moment of, uh, they have a moment together, a face off. Thank Apophis says, Jaffa Shova. <laughs> and Teal'c looks around at his dead friend and then responds, Tell Mel, a I die free. Apophis nods at this and takes aim. But then there's a whooshy sound and Teal'c is gone. And then there's more whooshies and Apophis is whipping his head around, but he does not see anyone anymore. Everyone is gone. And he's just standing there confused. And dramatic music ensues. Yes. Ooh, speaking of dramatic music, I read that this episode was nominated for an Emmy for its music. Really? yes interesting yeah well that's pretty cool this is actually the only episode
1: that i've made any notes about the music anywhere so uh cool good job nice composers and musicians yeah yeah that's cool a little while later we see daniel waking up and we can see through the hole in his shirt that the wound that he had from the staff weapon that shot him has been healed So he's apparently died twice now and recovered both times, which is super lucky because most people only die once and don't recover at all. So so good job, Daniel. (laughs) He looks around and finds Sam, and she also has a wound on her or a hole where a wound presumably had been and so he's like sticking his hand in her shirt to feel around to see if her wound is healed and that's really rude since she's not awake and then she does wake up and is like what are you doing (laughs) daniel mentions that he felt the blast kill him and is confused about then finding himself waking back up and asks sam if they're dead and she's like i think we are Daniel said that he thought that heaven would be more upscale than this dark kind of cave-like place <laughs> that they are finding themselves in. And Sam says that she does not think that this is heaven. Pretty soon, they find Jack, who is also unconscious, also with a hole in his shirt, but with no wounds or anything around that hole. Jack wakes up and is like, what the hell was that? What?
0: Oh it's okay. How was that?
1: Because apparently he also remembers being killed.
0: Wasn't I just... Killed. Oh. This is a surprise then. I'm not dead. I'm getting better.
1: They notice that Teal'c and all of the remaining weapons that they had are missing. So the staff weapon and the last of the tranquilizer guns that they had are all missing. Suddenly a couple people come in and stare creepily and silently from the corner. (laughs) They're kind of dressed in nature clothes like tan colors and looking like it's homemade and they've got plants in their hair so they're pretty flower child's-esque yeah
0: do you think those are ornaments or do they grow in their hair I don't know
1: I was also wondering the same thing and I found it to be a bit distracting and creepy
0: yeah either that or they just like don't do anything with their hair and they just hang out and whatever falls in it just they leave it there i don't know (laughs) it could be anything this is true
1: yeah also true daniel tries to introduce himself and sg1 and o'neill tries to talk to them as well but it is very clear that they don't really understand anything that sg1 is saying there they said that they were dead and they want to know what happens so these two people gesture for sg1 to go with them and bring them outside of this place that we were in which apparently turns out to be a hut
0: so they're walking now outside the hut. Uh, Daniel continues to ask questions that he doesn't get answers to, like "Is this your village? Where is Teal'c? They're led to uh, another one person. I don't know. I think they're, there was a few people. Yeah, they're led to they're led to more people who are yeah. hanging out by some fruit. Uh, <laughs> As one does, <laughs> <laughs> I love to hang out with fruit. <laughs> One of them offers some fruit to them and tosses the fruit with a smile. That's all I want, is someone to toss me a fruit with a smile. Absolutely. The, the one doing the tossing was played by Armin Shimmerman, Yay! who is well known as Quark.
1: There's nothing wrong
0: with acquiring profit. From Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and also as Principal Snyder. <laughs> Billy Crandall chained himself to the snack machine again. Pathetic little no-life vegan. From Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> I forgot about that. I never really watched that show, but I did know that he did that. He was, he was you know, the character's a jerk, but I enjoyed him a lot. Very entertaining <laughs> well, he's great, performance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's so good. I love him. As g one eats the fruit, they they keep asking questions. O'Neal wants his weapons back. Daniel speculates this might be a family, and O'Neal's like, of What? Come on, O'Neill, uh, <laughs> and then a and then a kid approaches uh, O'Neill who tries. I just messed that entirely up because <laughs> O'Neill asked the kid for the weapons.
1: Oh, that's always a good good plan.
0: <laughs> well, anyway, they want things, they want answers, they want their weapons. They're not getting them. And then Teal'c appears. He has also not gotten any answers when his friends question him about things that they want to know which are the same things that they've been asking this whole time the kid then goes up to Carter and and says Nefreyu uh, gesturing to himself indicating that's his name and then Carter imitates and puts her hand on him and says Nefreyu again and kid confirms and so she says that she is Carter and the kid looks really enamored of her and (laughs) Carter is (laughs) extremely like pleased and entertained with this (laughs) But Ongil says she can't keep him. Womp womp. Yeah. Out in the woods,
1: we see Apophis looking around angrily, which is what he does best. (laughs) And then we're back in the village again. Daniel's been asking the locals around the gate, but of course they still don't seem to understand. And Daniel mentions that he can't tell whether or not these people are human yet. Quirk suddenly says that he'll take them to their doorway. I like that you're going to call him (laughs) Quark. Of course I'm going to call him Quark. What else (laughs) would I call him? I don't know that we ever actually get his name, the character's name.
0: We get all of their names, but we get them super late in this episode. Oh, do we? Okay. The only one I caught was Nefreyu, so. (laughs) Not surprising.
1: Uh, So apparently it did not take Quark any time at all to learn the English language. And Quark says that their weapons are gone. And they're not going to have them back. And Quark's wife says that you guys attacked them and she sounds pretty accusatory when she says this and from from her perspective it does make sense they ambushed Apophis and they ambushed Apophis's guards so from their perspective SG-1 were the aggressors they didn't know the whole backstory so Sam tries to explain that they were only trying to capture them and they weren't actively trying to kill any of Apophis's guards even though they were firing guns and a staff weapon on them and apparently did actually (laughs) successfully kill one of the guards So their argument that they weren't trying to hurt anyone and just wanted to capture them is not very convincing at this point. O'Neill also tries to explain that those people that they were shooting on were assassins and that Apophis is really bad. So despite what appearances uh, may have made it look like, SG-1 was actually the good guys and Apophis and his men were the bad guys. Tilk mentions that he had never seen any kind of a force field device like the one that Apophis had before and Quark asks if they will just leave if he takes them to the gate. SG-1 is continuing to talk amongst themselves and are worried that Apophis is going to find these locals and hurt them if they just leave them here now that Apophis knows that SG-1 is here. And O'Neill asks Quark how they were saved and Quark says that it's their ways. We don't get any more detail than that.
0: You don't need it anymore. No. Yeah.
1: You know, our ways. That makes yeah. total sense. They, of course, ask for more detail, but Quark doesn't want to share any of that information with SG-1, who they are assuming are pretty barbaric at this point from, from the perspective of these locals. Tilk asks if maybe they should just go now, and the wife says, well, you shouldn't go until your brother revives, but that won't be until later. And, of course, everyone's like, what brother
0: is this that we have that we weren't aware of
1: and so she gestures for them to follow
0: the team follows uh her the woman's name is Laya. which eventually they say like way far away but so they follow her back to the hut where she takes them to an area closed off with a curtain and she whisks away the curtain that's probably not the right word but that's fine whisks away (laughs) It just disappears, Yeah. Um, where it's revealed that they've also rescued one of the Jaffa, who is unconscious. I was a little bit curious why this one was behind a curtain, but the rest of them were just laying around on the ground. <laughs> a valid question. But we don't get the answer <laughs> to know. that. <laughs> He is also
1: elevated up on a bed, and he most is. of them were on the floor. So that is a good point,
0: and I hadn't even noticed that. Maybe they sort people by their wounds. <laughs> Maybe. Well, actually, no. He got hit <laughs> by a staff wound, staff weapon, too. The gar- The guard was dead. The others were only mostly dead. <laughs> well, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly
1: dead and all dead.
0: <laughs> anyway and then we head back outside yes and they're talking about the jaffa still lias says that he resisted their attempts to heal him but tilk indicates that it's possible he'll still be healed because of the gold the the people of the planet express relief that he might not die and O'Neill disagrees he again tries to explain that this guy is their enemy the enemy is very bad they ask, can't you persuade him to join your side? And they're like, <laughs> no. Silly native. <laughs> work. What are you thinking? And then in this describing of the enemy, they do mention it's the gold. And Quark then says, the gold do not know the Nox. He says the gold are there to hunt the the fenry or whatever those yeah bugs, bird, creatures, invisible flying things are. Uh, so for the second, so this is for the second time in their encounter, O'Neill asks to speak to someone else. He's like, "I want to talk to the manager." What a Karen! <laughs> he's such a Karen. <laughs> yeah. So they, the Knox, you know, point out this the one of the guys who's there says he's the eldest Knox. Anyway, Ofer was his name, I think, something like that. Yeah, yeah. and they're like, "Great!" <laughs> oh. This guy seems unhelpful.
1: (laughs) He's been the least talkative. Yeah.
0: (laughs) The Knox do not want any more death, and SG-1 promises they're not going to kill this Jaffa. But if he's allowed to leave of his own volition to go back to the Gould, he'll tell them about the Knox, and they're super worried about the fate of these people. He asks them, how do you defend yourselves? And Quark's like, we don't. The Knox rebuff their attempts help or their desire to help they they're just like nope we don't we don't need your help and then o'neill you know pulls his team aside to have a little talk o'neill asks if Tilk knows this guy and it turns out his name is i think shackle yeah that's what i heard yeah and he served with Tilk Teal during Tilk's Apophis days. And again, they keep talking about how they feel responsible for this situation and they don't want to leave the Nox defenseless. De- defenseless. <laughs> Good job. They feel responsible and they don't want to leave the Nox defenseless. De- oh my god! <laughs> they don't want to leave the Knox defenseless. Holy crap. Um... <laughs> Daniel points out, like, yeah, and we can't kill him either. And the <laughs> others take a moment to be like, just stare at him. And he's like, yes. that's not what I was suggesting. I was just saying. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> so basically, they kind of they kind of talk in a little bit of a circle. Because they need to take Shackle to protect the Knox, But they're also trapped because they don't know where the Stargate is. And also, Apophis will probably kill them if they're try- you know, out in the woods trying to find the Stargate. Right. So they just decide to chill for a second. And go back to the point of their mission a little bit, which is to try to learn more about these people who that they've met on this planet and uh, see if they have anything, I don't know, helpful. <laughs> yes.
1: Elsewhere in the forest, Apophis is angry. Shocker. <laughs> Apparently nobody can find Teal. Nobody knows where the bodies of SG-1 are or the bodies of the guards. And... So they're all like, well, they can't just disappear unless they've learned the power of that beast, meaning the Fenry that we learned the name of earlier. Back in that little village inside the hut, Quark's wife wants to know why Shackle needs to be bound so tightly. And Tilk says it's because when Shackle wakes up, he will be very upset and would might start to attack if he's not. Shackled Shackle. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but the wife points out that, well, he is deceiving you because he is already awake, and then she leaves. So Tilk asks if Shackle's been waiting for him to turn his back, and Shackle says, as you've taught me. So apparently Tilk actually not only knew Shackle, but trained Shackle. And so Tilk tries to convince him to come and join him with the Tari, and of course, Shackle is unconvinced and is looking forward to his reward for catching Tilk. And Tilk is basically like, well, then that's too bad for you then, because I'm going to go back and beat Apophis. And when I go back to Chulak, I'm going to free all of our people. And it's sad for you because you won't get to see it because they're going to kill you when you fail to capture me or kill me first.
0: I liked a fair bit of elements to this scene. I liked uh, I liked how um disgusted uh, the the wife seemed when she left. Like yes. like with both of them just like that was pretty funny. Yeah. And then I also liked when he, when she first leaves and Tilk begins to speak to Shackle. They're both not looking at each other. Tilk yeah. continues to stare straight ahead and Shackle doesn't even open his eyes to answer him and I just thought that was really a good scene. I don't know. It was. I like yeah, I agree. Yeah.
1: It was very interesting. And I appreciated the shade that Tilk was throwing at Shackle as well. Tilk is always a very well-spoken character. I appreciate a lot of the lines that he has.
0: Yes, he's good.
1: Yes. Back outside the hut, O'Neill and Daniel are trying to make some weapons. So they're using whatever little knives they happen to have on them still, which, why didn't the Nox take their knives? I don't know. But apparently they still have knives and they're trying to make bows and arrows. And Nifrayu comes up and asks if they're making weapons, which, of course, O'Neill says that, yes, they are. And so O'Neill goes off and practices shooting. And I want to know where he got the fletching
0: for <laughs> his arrows. What's the fletching? I don't even know how the parts uh, the, of an arrow. The fletching is the, the feathers. Oh, uh, OK. Yeah, I don't know where those came from. Where did they get the feathers from? <laughs> maybe you plucked them out of their hair. Because
1: I'm pretty sure I saw some feathers in
0: someone's hair, too. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, maybe. It's a good Probably point. Probably not. But <laughs> I'm assuming
1: that they didn't manage to climb any trees and kill any birds to get it. So your theory is more plausible <laughs> than mine.
0: Maybe there's just a lot of feathers laying around everywhere. Could be.
1: Do those things, that the fenry don't have feathers. They're more like bugs. Yeah,
0: either. I don't know. I mean, I heard birds chirping, so there's got to yeah, be birds somewhere. There are
1: birds around. Anyway, Nefreyu says that the arrow would be super helpful for helping them to get the fruit out of the highest branches and asks why they want to hurt the bad guys. O'Neill argues that he doesn't actually want to hurt them, but he believes in peace and he only fights because he has to because the enemy gives him no other option. And so the kid says that he wants to understand this better. And then all of a sudden, a Fenri comes up and is hovering over them and looks like it's about to attack them. It's not invisible, so O'Neill is able to get a clear shot at it, and it it suddenly turns itself invisible as he hits
0: it. Ah. ah. So when you were talking about the knife, I it, which didn't occur to me when I was watching nope. it, but it, I was thinking about Nefreyu talking about how he could turn his weapon into a useful tool for getting fruit, and then mm-hmm. I thought maybe maybe they don't see knives as weapons. Uh, and maybe, maybe they just see them as useful tools too for other purposes. Yeah. I
1: don't. Good point. Yeah, that's. Well, if they're peaceful, pe- yeah. Well, it's a good point. If they're peaceful people, they might not even think of using a knife as a weapon and only think of it as a tool. They shouldn't do what the guns were though, and took those. Yes. I suppose probably they saw them in action, killing each other. Yeah, that's
0: true. It <laughs> <laughs> might have something to do with it. Maybe. And then we are with Daniel and Ofer. Ofer is touching some trees and licking <laughs> his hands. Um, he does offer some to Daniel, holds out his hand for him, but Daniel, Daniel politely declines. Oh, no, thank you. I'm, I'm trying to quit. Daniel is still trying to get any answers from these people. He says, is the forest where the medicine comes from? Um, and, Ofer oh, answers, we get life from the forest. We get it from everything. Daniel keeps asking the questions, but this Knox dude won't budge. He says, knowledge takes time and that they teach the young to be wise over many years. Daniel then asks how old he is and then explains how... We measure time so that Ophir can quickly calculate that he's 432 years old. How do we know that
1: the amount of time that it takes for this planet to go around their sun is the same
0: as on ours? We don't. Maybe they're just ballparking it. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That must be it. Maybe.
1: Somewhere else in the forest, wherever it is that O'Neill happens to be at this moment, Quirk suddenly comes literally out of nowhere and says, you're not going to teach my kid your ways. And O'Neill wants to know how he did that. How did he appear out of nowhere? Quirk says it's not the Fenry that have the ability to hide. It is the Nox. The Nox hid the Stargate and also hide the Fenry from the people that try to hunt it, which would be the Gwulwul and Apophis. And he chastises O'Neill for trying to kill it. O'Neill says he was only trying to protect the kid because... The Fenry was threatening them, and he also tries to warn Quark that if Apophis finds out that the Nox are the ones that actually have the power of invisibility rather than the Fenry insect thing, that there is going to be a lot of trouble. Quark says that his ways, their ways, have served them for a long time, and O'Neill says that they're going to be enslaved, and Quark says, We are slaves to no one. Hell yeah. Yeah.
0: and then we flip back to daniel yes and Ophir, and daniel is asking how long the gould have been coming to their planet and Ophir says they've been hunting there for as long as he remembers daniel recommends burying the gate but it's pointed out to him that the gould (laughs) will definitely know someone was there if they do that right that's it (laughs) (laughs) that is it and then back in the village now the team is they're talking about the Nox amongst themselves. So Daniel, you know, is like over the 432. They they realize they are not human. O'Neill reveals that the Nox are the ones with the power to hide themselves and everything else that th- has been hidden. They are still super worried about Apophis taking this technology or destroying the Nox when he realizes he can't take it from them if that's what happens. So they got to take Shackle with them. (laughs) Uh, Quark appears, though, and says, no, that SG-1 cannot be trusted with their enemy and that the Nox are not afraid of the gold, which is totally bizarro to SG-1 who cannot imagine them not being a threat. Daniel is still trying to convince him, but Quark rides for consent and that is the only (laughs) way Shackle will go with them. Good job, (laughs) Quark.
1: Consent is very important. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) Out in the forest, Apophis is... can you guess? (gasps) Is he angry? He's very angry. Oh my god. Who would have thought? Guards say that they still can't find the Stargate, and so Apophis asks for Teal'c instead. I thought that they had tracking devices that would help them find the Stargate, according to Teal'c. But I guess that maybe the magic that's hiding it hides it from those things too.
0: Maybe, maybe, maybe he, uh, maybe he left his tracking device at the gate, like O'Neill. <laughs> maybe that would have been stupid. Or homing device. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Back inside the hut, Teal'c offers Shackle another chance to join him and the Tari, and of course, Shackle is still not interested, and so starts screaming. And has a blade hidden inside his gauntlet and stabs Teal'c with it. So I guess he wasn't really tied up as tightly as Laya had seemed to think that he was. When Laia came in to see what all the screaming was about, Shackle stabs her as well and then takes off. Outside, Sam is cleaning up Teal'c's wounds and says that Teal'c's going to be fine. But they need to find Shackle. And out in front of the hut, the Nox are... Looking all translucent and wavy as they stand over Laia and waving their hands and presumably are trying to heal her from the stab wound that seems to have been fatal. Out in the forest, Shackle is spying on them as this is happening. If only SG-1 was looking for him a little harder because he's like right there, <laughs> 20 feet away while this is happening. They're
0: so distracted.
1: <laughs> they are very distracted apparently. But Shackle sees the Nox healing this woman who he had killed. And then all of a sudden she gets up and seems fine. And Shackle has a kind of knowing look on his face as he then sneaks off into the woods.
0: Laia is taken inside the hut. The Nox explain to SG-1 that they healed her the same way they healed SG-1. It's also revealed they are visible during what they're calling the ritual of life. O'Neill points out this is a weakness. But they're hidden again, so it's cool. (laughs) I guess they're looking around again for Shackle because they find some steps. Elsewhere in the forest, we
1: see Shackle running away. And then we're back with Teal'c and O'Neil. And the actor kid, uh, Nifreyu is like, I suppose I shouldn't be critical because he's just a kid, but his acting skills in this scene in particular were (laughs) (laughs) distractingly bad, I will say. He says he wants to go with Tilk and O'Neill because he's never seen a guawald before. And O'Neill says that that's not safe, so he needs to stay there with the other Nox. And O'Neill and Tilk resume walking, but when they look back, the kid is completely gone. Elsewhere in the forest, we're back with Shackle again, and he is calling out for Istra, finds the other Jaffa, and tilk and o'neil are, are watching this happening and tilk translates that he's telling them all about the Nox. back at the hut quirk and o'neil are arguing and then the other family members come up and say that nefreyu is missing apparently he hasn't been seen since that last episode with o'neil where o'neil told him to go back
0: home Oh.
1: and o'neil confirms he did tell the kid to go back home out in the forest nefreyu finds apathis and introduces himself and we hear ominous music playing. So again, good job, musicians. Apophis is looking for once, not angry, but seems rather confused and amused at this kid. <laughs> and then he raises his sparkle bling and starts approaching Nefreyu. We go back to Quark and Daniel and O'Neil who are all looking for Nefreyu and O'Neil swears that he told Nefreyu to go home. Quark points out that the very young do not always do as they're told, and the team and Nox find Nefreyu looking unconscious, but I think that the takeaway here is that he is actually dead. Sam and O'Neill think that it must be some sort of a trap, which of course makes sense, and Quark picks up the kid and they all take him back to the hut.
0: Back at the village, the, uh, the Nox need to do the ritual of life on Nefreyu. O'Neill thinks they should wait because clearly this is a trap. And uh, Daniel's like, well, he can be revived, but O'Neill knows the Gould are going to attack during it because the Nox are going to be invisible. SG-1 you know, decides again to defend them, but they need we- weapons. And the Nox again says, there will be no killing. Jack is like, well, fine then. We're just going to leave you. And they'll find their own way back to the Stargate <laughs> because they won't watch a slaughter. But it's a total fake out because SG-1 aren't those people. They're just throwing up a little like what's the word i'm looking for sham sham it's It's a sham sham. meanwhile the knocks begin the ritual because it will take too long if they try to get them to the rest of their people just
1: beyond the hut we see sg1 gathering their stick spears and there's apparently one tranquilizer dart left that o'neill is tying to his spear they're talking about their plan and O'Neill points out that earlier, when a guard had thrown a staff weapon to Apophis, that staff weapon was able to get through Apophis's force field. So maybe something that is thrown slower than a blast or a bullet might be able to get through the shield. And that's why he thinks that possibly this spear and tranquilizer combination will work.
0: This seems like another half-baked idea. Like <laughs> There's no guarantee that that's the reason that the weapon passed through the shields. And no. they're totally doing this on a guess that it might work.
1: Yes. But then Sam says it in a more sciencey way. So, of course, it totally makes sense at that point because she said it with science. And then Neil's like, yeah, that. <laughs> what you said. <laughs> back at the hut, the Nox are performing the ritual. And back with SG-1. The team is hiding and preparing to ambush the Jaffa in Apophis. (laughs) Tilk is hiding behind a tree that is significantly narrower than he is because he's a very large man. (laughs) And he's also holding a huge tree branch (laughs) that he's going to be using as a weapon. So how did the Jaffa not see him (laughs) way in advance before Tilk managed to whack him over the head with the log that he was carrying? don't it made me know. giggle. <laughs> Daniel was also hiding behind a tree, but at least it was like slightly closer in match. I mean, the tree that Daniel was hiding behind was still too small for Daniel as well, but it wasn't as comically small as the tree that Teal'c was trying to hide behind. At least, <laughs> Sam and O'Neill were hiding it under some plants, so at least they were actually legitimately harder to see than yes. <laughs> Daniel or Teal'c were. SG-1 works to take down the guards, despite their bad guerrilla warfare skills, and they do have some moderate success with that. The Nox hear the battle happening, but continue with the ritual anyway, and the fighting continues. Apophis slowly backs away from SG-1 and his guards and is putting his hand on his force field button. Apophis tells O'Neill that he's a fool and that he's going to kill him, and O'Neill's like, what, again? Yeah. <laughs> He shoots his arrow at Apophis, but Apophis suddenly
0: disappears. So we never know if this bonkers theory is true or not. I would bet that it
1: doesn't matter <laughs> because Apophis is probably still fine. Right. <laughs> O'Neill shouts out to the now empty forest that Apophis and his men are going to be back and they are
0: not going to spare the Knox. And then we're back at the Stargate location. There's still no gate. Uh, Quark slash his name is Entaeus, oh, um, okay. which I finally wrote in my notes at the end, which is a good time to do people's names. Yeah, uh, <laughs> He appears out of nowhere. He tells them that the Gould have already been sent home and they do plan now to bury the Stargate. SG-1's still worried because the gold have ships and could still destroy them and... Nefreyu appears then, too. They're talking, and the SG team explains they stay to help because it's their way to defend the weak.
1: That's pretty insulting.
0: Uh, Yeah. And they're (laughs) afraid for the Nox. And the Nox respond to this by revealing they have a very large city floating in the sky above the forest. (laughs) So clearly they've been holding out, and clearly they're okay. Yes. So quark's like fear not yeah yes and then the gate reappears Woo-hoo. Um, oh he also had said at one point that he sent back their weapons through the gate and i just think those, <laughs> <Yeah>. that equipment's <laughs> gone because it hit an iris <laughs> and
1: <laughs> oh
0: yeah that didn't even occur to me but yeah you're
1: totally right <laughs> sorry mop <laughs> oh, that's really funny what i was thinking about when he said that was how did he know the address to dial i <laughs>
0: That's a good question. Did they ever say
1: where they were from exactly? And if not, how did they know? And does he just happen to have all of the gate addresses memorized?
0: Good questions, all. Answers we'll never get. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So now that the gate has reappeared, uh, he also says, one day you will learn your way is not the only way. And then the knocks depart by disappearing. And the team just kind of stares at the giant floating city. That's just sitting there, kind of mocking them. Yeah. You know, they they just kind of, they have a little discussion about how technologically advanced the Nox are clearly, and right. why they chose perhaps not to share that information any earlier. Right. They point out that it seems to be even more technologically advanced than the Gua'uld are. Yeah. Daniel laments that now all of this is going to be lost to them, because they're going to bury the gate, and SG-1 can never come back, and he's right. like, we should have listened. And then Jack quotes Cork saying very the very young, young do you not always, always do, do always as they're told uh, and says this is something worth taking home with them. And that's a costly lesson they just learned. I cannot imagine Mr. Secretary is going to be very happy. Probably not. They at least
1: got the anesthetic that we saw a few episodes ago, though. So that's
0: not nothing. That's true. But that's, you know, peacemaking, not But that's just medicine,
1: (laughs) That's not weapons. That's just medicine to save people's lives. So who cares about that stuff?
0: Yeah. So did you
1: like this episode, Mary? Um, I did actually like this episode. Aside from the fact that their hair annoyed me and was distracting (laughs) to me. (laughs) I thought it was an interesting plot to have this race of people who seem to be simple and who sg1 is assuming are way less advanced and then turns out the at the end that they are not nearly as simple as they seemed and i appreciated the fact that armin shimmerman was in it because as i
0: said i'm a huge fan of him
1: (laughs) and overall it was just an entertaining episode what were your thoughts
0: Probably pretty along the same lines. I also enjoyed that Armin Shimmerman was in that. <laughs> um, and I did like the way they appeared to be very primitive and needing of protection from the perspective yeah. of SG-1, but it turns out to be untrue. I'm just saying the same things you just said. Yes.
1: <laughs> Good <laughs> um, job. <laughs> it, I,
0: I I appreciated that they're, they, they're showing that this show is not just going to be like, oh we're just going to do things our way and it's going to be great. And they're showing that this world that they're stepping into is much larger and full of much many different types of people. Um, And not just like species wise, but Mm -hmm. life philosophy and experience. I think it's
1: good. Yeah. I think it's good too that like a lot of the episodes we've seen so far, they've seemed to kind of imply that a lot of these other cultures were less advanced than humans and so more primitive and backwards so i did appreciate that here they took a culture that seemed to have a really simple lifestyle and made them more advanced than us to kind of go against that stereotype that we've been seeing up to this point
0: yeah um, I liked. I liked that they tried. They were trying to do a good thing, but it was completely unnecessary yeah. and uh, not asked for. And right. they refused to listen when they <laughs> were told to go away. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know why that particularly. I don't know. It's not entertaining. It's just an interesting story. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. And perhaps next time they will know better and they will do better. Right. And speaking of next time, what happens next time? What are we watching next? Next time. Next time on Stargate SG1 <laughs> slash Stargatesing, <laughs> we will have watched Brief Candle and we'll be discussing that episode numbered nine in our count. And that episode description is On the mysterious planet Argos, the beautiful Kynthia seduces Colonel O'Neill, which means he is condemned to an Argosian lifespan of only a hundred days. As he turns gray and old, will his team succeed in their frantic search for a cure?
1: What's gonna
0: happen? Sounds like it won't be at all
1: problematic or sexist. (laughs) I actually don't remember. I remember vaguely the storyline. Yeah, I don't actually remember don't specifically if it is problematic. But I'm just saying <laughs> it sounds like it probably will be. Because it was the 90s. Right. <laughs> so one can pretty safely Yeah, it's a, it's a reasonable <laughs> bet.
0: Yes. <laughs> but perhaps we'll be wrong. Hopefully so. So
1: between now and then, if you've enjoyed the episode, please make sure that you subscribe to us on Apple or Google, whatever you happen to use for your podcast catching. Also, if you would like to give us a five-star rating, we would greatly appreciate it. If you don't want to give us a five-star rating, I suppose you have that right as well, but we would hope that you would not give us a non-five-star rating. Uh, The podcast is released every other Monday, and we are also probably, by the time that this comes out, going to be live on our YouTube channel, so you should be able to find this podcast on YouTube as well as any podcast catcher that is out there. You can email us at stargatesing at gmail.com, S-T-A-R-G-A-T-E-Z-I-N-G. We're on Twitter at stargatesing. We have a Facebook page that you can like as well. And we have a new website, which is super exciting. Yay! Stargatesing.space. Yes. Because that's a great domain name. So we are at Stargatesing.space for our website. Yeah, we are. Super excited about that one. Uh, and of course, last but not least, you can find us on patreon.com slash And any donations that you feel like you would like to make are very much appreciated. So, again, thank you for listening. I am Mary. And I am Kathy. And this is Stargating. The end. The end. There was a lot of dialogue and a lot of switching back and forth. So, I felt like I was being redundant when I kept saying, like, Quark said this. And then O'Neill said this. <laughs> and then Quark said this. And then O'Neill was like
0: this. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happened. And is what happened. Yeah, it was a lot
1: less action y and a lot more talky than a lot of episodes that we've had,
0: too. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. But that's okay. Oh, Pepper, you snore.